Hey, glad you're here this morning. Well, this morning's service was, had a little extra energy in it. Did you feel that this morning? That's a good thing. And Now, I was not raised in a church like that. How about you? The only time noise was made in my little country Methodist church that I went to as a boy was when a wasp was flying around. Now, it's a true story now. It was a little bitty church. I went back to visit not too many months ago, and it was only five pews on each side. And I used to think it was such a big place. I'll tell you what, I learned John 3.16 there about Christ being the only way. But I want to tell you, there is a freedom in the Christian life. It's more than just emotion, but how many know emotion is not a bad thing? The Bible's filled with people that were passionate about God. I find that I can't control passion. I mean, if you feel passion, you want to express it in your life. And who better to express it to than God? You know, King David experienced this when he was a young man. He, he brought the ark, which symbolized the, the presence of God in the Old Testament, brought it back to their city. And as he did it, he went in front of the ark and he took off his formal priestly robes and kingly robes and he began to dance before the Lord. And his wife, Michael, she said, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. And he said, listen, lady, I'd rather make God happy than worry about what you think about it. So listen. Emotion for emotion's sake is not what we're talking about, but the ability to express who God has created us to be, not only with our intellect, but with our whole being. I mean, no, that's what worship is all about. He's worthy of our praise. Give him one more hand today. Turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I didn't get to go with the guys, which is a really neat opportunity. You know, it's just like a vacation. How I many know you need a vacation from the job to get refreshed? Well, sometimes you need spiritual vacations just to go around where other Christians have some fire and passion. And I didn't get to go because I was following my 10-year-old. She was a part of the junior Bible quiz and for the whole state of Arkansas. And I'm pleased to tell you, your church team won fourth place in the whole state. Isn't that a great thing? That's a great thing. Well, as a proud dad... I got a, uh, she, my daughter, Rebecca, also won the best Christian attitude in her whole age group. Got this little trophy. I was real proud of her. So naturally, as a proud dad, I put it on Facebook, you know, and said something. Like, not one guy responded. About 20 women, you know. But I got one from some unnamed person and says, I wonder who she's acting like, Pastor John or Miss Linnell. It's my wife. I know who most people would say. So after church, we're going to be having an altar call for people who pick on the pastor in Facebook. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens sometimes. Hey, last Sunday was a wonderful, wonderful day as we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. We had three weekend services, and the great thing was we had over 25 adults make steps to Christ last weekend. Just a powerful, powerful day. Isn't that great? Dozens of kids. But I want to ask you this question. After Easter, then what? Now what? After I have believed in Christ, because listen, virtually everybody in this place, you know, whether you're already a Christian or are not a Christian, making steps to Christ. Well, after you believe in Christ, then what? What happens after I put my trust? What does God expect of me after I believe in Christ to become my Savior? I'll tell you, and it's very simple. He expects me to follow him as my Lord. Let me say it again. After I have believed in him or on him as my Savior, he expects me to follow him as my Lord. Here's our passage, and I'm beginning a new series called The New You. And it's about helping you make steps to God to help you become the person God created you to be. Because how many know everybody's in process here? 
Nobody's arrived. Nobody's perfect. And every one of us are on a journey. And this morning, I'm going to share with you what I believe is the number one way to make that step into God's purposes in your life. But kind of hang on with me as I paint a picture. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. Paul, the apostle writes these words. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. That's an interesting phrase. I've died to my now, if the Bible talks about an old life, it also presupposes there's a, a new life. So an old life and the new life, the old you and the new you. Jesus died, or he died for everyone, so those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but instead they'll live for Christ. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, that's where I'll end up this morning, that that is the number one thing you can do to become the person God has created you to be, is that you stop living for yourself. And start living for God. Now, it doesn't mean you change vocations. It doesn't mean you quit school. It doesn't mean you quit playing softball. It doesn't mean you quit duck hunting or fishing. But it simply means that in everything I do in my life, Christ is first. Let me explore this with you this morning. Look at verse 17, the great passage. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, here's what I want you to see, the old and the new. And we've got, I've got some graphics up here depicting this. It's like a frog. Look at your neighbor and say, that looks a little bit like you. And we've got a frog looking in the mirror over here. Okay? So here, this froggy guy that's, you know, croaks, makes noises, and kind of slimy, he's got a crown on his head symbolizing the fact that, you know, he's, well, he's a Christian frog, okay? But that God has taken this old Jew... And he's made you and knew you when you received Christ. So that when you look in the mirror, God sees this new person, a prince, a princess. Not just about guys here, but a prince or a princess. And that's what God does. He spiritually transforms you. He changes you. So when you believe in Christ, there's a crown placed on your head. But then he expects you to act like Christ is first so you can become the prince he's created you to be. That's what we're going to talk about in this series how to, how to become the new you that God wants you to be. How I can enter in on that journey. I want to kind of tell you two things this morning uh, about this frog. First, the frog becomes a prince when he believes in Christ. But secondly, the frog acts like a prince when he follows Christ. He, he becomes a prince when he believes. He acts like the prince when he follows. And that's the difference because there's more than just believing and I don't minimize faith. That's the foundation of our faith to become a Christian. But how many know faith without works is, is dead? And some people have, I believe, substituted a false sense of informational belief with heart transformation that happens as we turn to follow Christ. Let's talk about this frog this morning. First of all, he becomes a prince when he believes. And this frog, of course, representing us. What happens when we become a Christian? Now, you and I are so conditioned to the natural world that all we're taught to believe is what we can see, what we can look in the mirror and perceive. This old frog looks, you know, if he's looking in a natural mirror, he just sees this four-legged guy hopping around. But it's God's mirror that we need to look at. Something spiritually happens when you are born again, when you're saved. It is a spiritual transformation. Jesus told Nicodemus this in John 3, 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is... Born sec twice, born again, reborn, he cannot see. He cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says we need to have a spiritual transformation. 
before you go to heaven, before you walk with God, before you have relationship with God, something needs to happen on the inside. See, and that's exactly Adam's sin long time ago in the Garden of Eden. Basically, what he did is his sin produced a death. And that's not just physical death. Today, it, we'll, we'll celebrate the homegoing of the oldest church member today, Miss Isabel. Uh, Isabel Jones died at 101. 101 or 102? 101 years of age, went to be with Jesus. We'll celebrate her. But listen, that's her body. But the death that the Bible's speaking about is a separation from God. So Adam's sin causes us to be separated from God. When we're born again, we have a new life and we have relationship with God. That's kind of the gist of the thing. We were spiritually dead, but now we become spiritually alive. When you put your faith in Christ, I want you to go to Galatians 4. When you put your faith in Christ, and this is a big term, he adopts you into his family. I want you to think of the term adoption. I guarantee you someone knows someone here who has been adopted. Adoption. When we put our faith in Christ, God adopts us in his family. Galatians 4, verse 5, the New Living Translation. God sent him, or God sent Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves. You say, well, I'm not a slave to anybody. We don't practice slavery in America. You're missing it, see, because you're responding like an uninformed, secular American. The Bible teaches that you were a slave to sin. Adam sold us in the entire human race, into the slavery of sin. And it was almost like Satan or the devil became our parent. It's like he sold us. He gave his the dominion away sold uh, by freedom who were slaves so we, he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, I want you to see two kingdoms, the old you, the new you, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, the way it used to be, the way that it is, the power of sin, freedom from sin, the new you. And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, or that means Papa or Daddy. I'm 52 years old. My dad's in his 70s. And he called, when he, he, he leaves a note on my answer machine, he says, this is your daddy. Well, listen, God is your daddy. He's not just the man upstairs. He's not a distant, far away, unfeeling God. But it is a term of spiritual endearment. It is a term of closeness. I wanted to go bad to the men's ramp this weekend. I wanted to go turkey hunting uh, yesterday, too, because it was the first day of turkey season. But I have a 10-year-old, and I confess I'm wrapped around her finger. And she said, when Linnell told her I might go to the ramp, I guess Linnell decided I couldn't go turkey hunting. But... And she said, I couldn't go to the ramp. Rebecca said, he has to go. Because when I quiz out, I sit on his lap and he tells me he's proud of me. I'd be devastated if he didn't go. Okay? So, some of you would go turkey hunting, but not me. Why? Because I'm her daddy. I'm not just her, the biological agent of her, you know, you know creation into this world. I am her daddy. And the Bible says God adopts you. The old you, and he makes you a new you, and he puts you in his family. You have a special relationship with God. Now, if you don't believe these things, as the Bible teaches, you're kind of looking in the wrong mirror. But it's like God's put a crown on your head because of your trust in Christ. It's legal language pertaining to adoption. Now, I want you to listen to this now. Listen to what an attorney says about adoption law in America. The moment an adoption becomes legal, all links to the birth parent cease. When you're formally adopted, legally adopted, you no longer have ties to the old parent. Now, who was your old parent? 
Yeah, the Bible calls him the God of this world with a little g who has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. And he held control over you because of sin. It just happened that way in life. Jesus adopted us, and he becomes our new dad, and he severed the ties that Satan has in our lives. This adoption grants the child and the parents the same legal status as a biological parent and child. Which means if you adopted a child in the Lanier home and that child went through the process, that child will have the same rights as Heather does that was born, you know, from the two of you. That child has the same status. The new parents receive a birth certificate with a chosen name for the child, their own names replacing the birth parents' names. So listen, no matter what your old life was like, you could have been, listen, you could have been a rapist, you could have been a murderer, you could have been a drug abuser. You could have been violent. You know, you could have had a lot of things. You used to hurt people. used to make fun of people. used to be a bully. All these things, you know, that define the old you. In Christ, there's a new you. He washes these things away. He washes our sins away from us. But He gives us a new identity. When He looks at me, He doesn't see me the way that I used to be. Come on. He sees Christ when He looks at me. They... Um, so... These are things that happen legally. Satan can't control us. God is our father, and God has given us an inheritance. See, it's your future. I want you to know life in this world is a dress rehearsal for eternity. It's a dress rehearsal. Earth is not your home. You know the Bible depicts of you and I as pilgrims or strangers that are merely passing through this life. We don't live here. Earth is not our home. I'm following the beat of a different drummer. You understand? And we're not living here. Therefore, we live a different life. We don't live for ourselves. You know, people that don't know Christ and follow Christ, all they have is the pleasure of the day. All they have is, is this sense. And you watch politicians that don't know Christ, their pursuit of power. It's so sad to watch a politician that's trying to get your vote that knows nothing about the Bible and misquotes a Bible verse. It just, you know, it's very insulting. They have no clue. You look at some of the giving records of some of the major politicians in America, and they make well over a million, several million dollars, and give virtually nothing away. Whereas you look at a dedicated Christian, and it's like they can't give away enough. Because, listen, because this person, this whoever, the, whether they be politician or not, all they have in this life is power and things and stuff. All they have is pleasure. All they have is one sexual relationship to the next. All they have is one experience to the next. All they have is, you know, a phone that you can talk around the world, and then you get the first iPhone and then the second generation of iPhone, and you're not going to be happy until the new generation comes out. Then you've got to get an iPad too. Come on. Because that's where happiness is. Happiness is getting a better car than anyone else, a bigger car than anybody else. It's status symbols, you know. And all those things, that's all they got. But you have an inheritance, friend, that transcends all that, that will allow you to be content with what you have today because you're not living for yourself, you're living for Him. Someone say, praise the Lord. Um, when you are born again, listen, you are different. The frog becomes a prince. Now, remember when I said, when you believe in Christ, you put that crown on that frog, that frog becomes a prince when he believes in Christ as Savior. But now let me move to the next part, which is the absolute key to becoming the new you. And this is big because it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because the frog jumps in the water. The Bible will tell us how. But the frog begins to act like a prince when he follows Christ. Now stay with me on this one. It's big. 
Um, turn your Bibles, uh, well, back to, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and then we'll go to Luke 3. But let me explain what I mean. In the land of fairy tales, and even really in our land, we've got a little water feature out by my daughter Bethany's window, and there's two frogs that live in it. And I'll tell you what, they sing and wake her, keep her awake all night long. I go by the door and I think, well, isn't that just real nice? She said, they're by my window, though. And I saw them the other day. They were sitting on a little rock by this little water feature thing. And I said, Bethany, there they are. And she said, kill them. <laughs> and I don't think she wanted to eat them. I mean, oh, 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 you know. what, what, where was I going with that? Okay. In fairy tale land. You know, frogs, you know, well, of course, they live in the water and frogs croak and, and, and princes live on land and princes talk and frogs hop and princes walk. But, but in the real land, the old you followed the crowd and the new you follows Jesus. Let me say it again, particularly teenagers, don't you listen to this? Because what happens when we become a Christian? My old nature doesn't disappear. How many know that? That old nature was nailed to the cross. It was crucified with Christ. It was buried in the waters of baptism. But here's kind of how I look at it. My old John, the old John is like in a coffin. The only problem is the coffin doesn't have a nail on it. It's not in the ground. And I've got to keep my foot on it to keep that old man in there. And if I get pulled away because of temptation, guess what happens? He comes out. So it's a battle inside. Paul said the things I don't want to do, but the things I do, I oftentimes don't want to do. And that whole cycle of guilt and shame and condemnation, all of which the enemy uses to harass us. But there's an old Jew and a new you living inside. The old Jew will follow the crowd. The old Jew will, whatever that crowd is doing, that crowd could do some vandalism. That crowd could do a violent act. That child could rape someone. And you go along because you follow the crowd. That crowd could be laughing at, 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 at jokes. They could be watching pornography. Whatever that, that crowd may do. That crowd may get together and do some violent act, even on the sports field. But the new you is following Christ. And every one of us knows the pressure when the crowd wants to pull the old you back into view. The old you lives in sin. It's very comfortable with sin. It's surrounded by people who sin. The new you, though, overcomes sin. The new you would rather live a holy, set-apart life rather than a life that's just guilt given towards pleasures that are, that, are, that are not of God. The old you live for himself, and this is big in the bottom line, the old you live for himself, the new you lives for Christ. Let me say it again. The old you live for himself, the new you lives for Christ. And that doesn't mean that, that the new you can't play ball if you love to play ball. It doesn't mean you can't hunt or fish or, you know, it doesn't mean you can't go to college. It doesn't mean you have to be like me and be a preacher. But it simply means this. Christ is the center of your life. When you used to make the touchdown, you'd, you, you know, you'd kind of do your chest or whatever you would do and, and people would look at you and, you know, you'd kind of crow. But the new you puts his finger in the air. Why is that? Because the new you realizes that it's not about me. It's, it's about him. Let's get it. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.15. And this is so key. If you, if you don't walk away from this church service with anything else, walk away with this truth today. Christ died for everyone so that those who receive his new life. That's first. You can reject it. You can walk out of this room and say, I want nothing to do with him or I don't want this. But those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves Instead, if we could lay hold of that, it would revolutionize our life. That is the frog becoming the prince when he lives for Christ. 
Luke chapter 3. Let's look at this new you just a moment. The new you follows Christ and leaves the old ways. Let me give you an old way. I, I, I presume many of you, most of you likely are in this room, raised as I was with really not a whole lot of moral boundary and bearing. Um, I bet you this room has a lot of people in it that would sleep with anybody, anytime, anywhere. Borrow your, your wife's mirror and look behind you. You'll probably see a guilty person. Don't turn around, but you'll probably see a guilty. That's just the world. Sleep with anybody, anytime, anywhere. The world pushes it all the time. I read an article the other day. Now they're making, I hate to even say this, it's so crass, but it's the world we live in. Junior-sized condoms for 12-year-olds so little boys can learn to experience That's the world we live in. See, no boundaries whatsoever. I'm going to sleep with another man, sleep with another man. There's no rules. Sleep with another woman, sleep with another woman. And call anybody who disagrees a bigot or a hate monger. I think perhaps they might call me someone that loves them enough to tell them the truth. See, the problem is when we become self-righteous when we tell the truth. The problem is when we assume that we're better than someone else. How many know our sin is the same? Sin is sin. But we live in a world out there that just pretty much anything goes. And the old you, when you get married, even if you're a Christian, still has an old you living in there. And if you lived your whole life going from one relationship to another to another, and it was all based on the shallowness of lust, not on love that's centered in the other person, after you get tired of your spouse, you start looking around for somebody else. You're looking at me like you've never heard anybody say anything like this in the whole world. Don't say that too loud. You may be guilty over there. <laughs> and the old you meets this cute little thing at work. And you have coffee. You go, and before you know it, you want to have more than coffee. And you got a battle inside. And the old you is saying, go for it. Have fun. Live for yourself. You can cover it up. Nobody will know. You upgrade as you go. But the new you, come on that might read their Bible enough to see that this is the will of God that you abstain, come on, from immoral behavior. So beyond just the teaching of the Bible, the real you, the new you, would look at your spouse. And remember that the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And it's not about you, that your relationship is a picture of Christ and His bride, and it's a testimony to the world, and it's the safest place in the world to raise your children. See, but it's the old you and the new you the struggles we have. I don't know about you, but I want to get away from the old you and I want to go after the new you. Listen, listen, uh, Luke 3, 3, 3. John the Baptist now is, is talking to people, encouraging them to get ready to meet Christ. And the way they do it is to turn from their sins and get baptized. Uh, verse 3, John went preaching that people should be baptized. And this, this huge three big words here. You get baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, that R word is one of the biggest words in the Bible, but it's missing from the vernacular of most Christian people today. They had repented, and the word repentance simply means stop going your way and start going God's way. 
See, and a lot of us think that, well, that's a bummer. I'd rather up, do the upgrade thing, you know, like the, or the new girl. Okay. Okay. Well, you go through the pain of, of multiple divorces, and you go through the pain of your, chi- having to, your children having to visit three different places. You just, okay, you can do that. And, I, and I'm not knocking you that are, have lived in that world. I live in it. My parents are divorced. I'm one of these children that go home and say, mm, I love you, Mom, glad to be here, and then run over to Dad's house, love you, mm, glad to be here. I mean, it's just pain that follows. And the old world is filled with lies, see, that are just not true. Um, how do we get off on that? That R word, repent or turning from their sins and turn to God to be forgiven. Now look at verse 10. This is, this is incredible as he explains it. The crowd said, what should we do then? Isn't that the question? What the, here's what they're asking. How do I become a new me instead of the old me? What do I do? And listen to what John the Baptist said. If you've got two shirts, give one to the poor. And if you have food, share it with those that are hungry which probably suggested that they were hoarding their possessions and neglecting the poor. And now he's saying, listen, if you want to be new, then you need to be generous instead of stingy. You need to be a giver instead of a taker. Come on, say a little amen on me there. Look at verse 12. Corrupt tax collectors, okay, the IRS, all right, those helpful people. They came to be baptized, and they said, teacher, what should we do? In verse 13, he said, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What does that mean? These IRS guys back in their day, the tax collectors, would be in cahoots with the Roman soldier, and they would go to your house, to your business, and get as much money as they could. They'd give the government their part, and they'd split the rest. And here's what he says. If you want to be a new you, if you want to follow Christ, then you need to be honest. You need to stop stealing. Come on. You need to stop stealing from people. You need to stop using these manipulative means, and you need to be content with what you have. And you tell the truth and quit lying. And then he told the Roman soldier, don't extort money, don't make false accusations, and be content with your pay. So what am I saying here? If you're over here in the old you, when you follow Jesus, you go to over here in the new you. Over here, they were selfish, and they hoarded, and they extorted, and they stole. Over here, they gave, they shared, they honest, they told the truth. What's the difference? One of them is a frog living like a frog, and one of them is a frog trying to live like a prince. And I'm telling you, that is the secret to the Christian life. Allowing Christ to be first. You're as quiet as the first service at this point of the game. I'll keep moving because dinner is coming. Repentance is missing from the American gospel. This word, repent, turn, change, it is missing from the American gospel. You just don't hear it much. People want to go to churches. I think it's a false gospel. I think it's a partial gospel. We certainly we hold to the word believing in Christ for our salvation, but it's almost like believing is enough. You don't have to do anything else. And that's just not true. You know, the first message, John the Baptist preached it. The first message Jesus preached, you look at his teachings in the Gospels and you'll find the first word out of his mouth will repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Guess what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when the church was born? Repent. Acts 2.38. Repent. Turn. Stop going your and start going God's way. And we think, what a bummer if I'm going to change. Really? Didn't Jesus say, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? So Jesus is saying, if you would just let go of the old you and you'd start living the new you, you'd really find what abundant, satisfying, full life was all about. But if you're content with the old you, 
The only choices you have is Bud Light better than Miller. Is it better in paper or in a bong? I mean, that's the only question. I was worldly for a couple years, okay? That's not the only question. Oh, God. You just don't hear it in American Christianity. It's kind of a picture. That's American Christianity today. You're driving your car. Your life's like a car. Driving down the road. There's Jesus. I've got a problem. I need Jesus. I need some help. Come on here, Jesus. Help me, please. I'm talking at the trip and I don't have any money for gas. Give me some money, please. I'm lost. I don't know where to go. Okay, turn right. Okay, now you sit in the back and be quiet. Just sit back there until I need you again. died so you could go to heaven and do whatever you wanted to until you got there. I almost said do whatever the hell. You would. <laughs> You're much more real than the first service. They couldn't wait to get out. Real Christianity is pulling on the side of the road and recognizing the holiness of God. Recognizing the gift of eternal life. Recognizing the sinfulness of my own life. And, and, and be amazed that he's even standing on the side of the road looking for me. Putting the car in park, getting over there and getting on your knees and say, could I please give you the keys to my life? Come here, let me open the door and you sit in the driver's side. I want you to drive the car. I'm just going to sit next to you. Whatever you say, I'll do, Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the difference between the old you and the new you. But here's the problem. Jesus is never going to make you be a new you. I am preaching better than you're amening this morning. Some, now, some people want the old you and the new you to live in the same house. Picture a, a ship and a pier. This ship is going to take you through life to eternity. And the pier is the old stuff. And you're on the pier, and you get one foot on the ship. I got saved. Oh, mama, I got saved. Now. My foot's on the ship, and I got saved. I'm going to heaven. Right now. And the ship starts moving. And you think, man, my buddies are still over there. And that ship is moving. And you're doing okay thus far. I mean, you got the old you going, and you can still go to church, and you can still read your Bible a little bit, and hope your pants don't split in the middle. But, I mean, you... you, 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 you uh, Cramp. And, and, and we see, you cannot anymore do that than one woman can have two husbands. Now, a husband might could have two wives, but I don't know any men. But we try to have one foot in the world. Those hamburgers are getting done. I got to go. Matthew chapter 7. There are two paths to follow in life. There's only two. And I don't care if you have multiple PhDs or you didn't even graduate from high school. There's only two paths to follow in life. Listen to what Matthew said. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The New Living Translation. The highway to hell is broad 
and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So I want to ask you, are you willing to let your new you lead you, even if it's a difficult path and not many people are going there? Or you want to go down the wide path where everybody else is going, where the old you used to be? That is the question for you this morning. See, there is believing in Christ and there's following him as Lord. You cannot I'll conclude with these scriptures. You cannot truly live for Christ until you decide to stop living for yourself. You cannot truly live for Christ. You may have a crown on your head and you have believed, but it's more than just believing. It is following Christ as Lord. If all you have is belief, my fear for you is you have a false belief that never transformed your life and at best you were inoculated with religion. You missed it. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for everyone. So those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but instead they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. He is my Savior, come on, and He is my Lord. Do it with me. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. Come on, everybody. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. Woo. Matthew 16, 24. The Message Bible. I like this. Jesus went to work on His disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has got to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. Verse 26, what kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Your King James readers remember it this way. Follow after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The Message Bible says, you're not driving, I'm driving. But I'll tell you, it is the path to happiness. It is not the path to Bummerville. It is the path to happiness. John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life. And they might have it more abundantly. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The New Living Translation, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Would you hear Jesus' desire for you? A rich and satisfying life. The Message Bible says that you might have more and better life than you ever dreamed of. How do you get that? You give him the keys. You're like Christ be in control. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. For all of us here. But I want to ask you this question first. Eyeball to eyeball. Heart to heart. Are you born again? Have you ever truly turned to Christ? I'm not asking if you shook the preacher's hand. I'm not asking if you shook my hand last Easter. Shaking somebody's hand, listen, not going to get you to heaven. Have you ever turned your heart to follow Christ? Is there a new you living inside you? Or is there just an old you? I want to tell you, God wants to put a new you in your life. He wants to be your father. He wants to give you a robe of righteousness to cover your sin. He wants to wipe out your sin. He wants to give you a brand new start. 
He wants to give you a new tomorrow and a new today. He wants to cancel out your yesterday. He wants to hit the delete button like on the computer. And then he wants to empty the recycle bin. He wants to start all over with your life. It's the power of forgiveness. That frog needs a crown. And you need to be born again. You need to be saved. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? The Bible says, as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those that would believe on his name. I learned John 3.16 as a boy in that little Methodist church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Believe in him, trust in him. That he is the way. He's not just an option or a backup plan. Imagine you're on the hundredth story of some building. There's a window right there and you're, in, you're looking out over the edge. And if you're like me, you're about three or four foot away. You not only put your hand on that, to trust is, not only put your hand on the window, but to trust is to let your weight lean on the window. I wonder if you've ever trusted in Christ and believed in Him. You can do it today. You can make a step to Christ right now, in this moment, just before we go. You can say, I hear it, I believe God is dealing with my heart today. If you're here today, say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I want to get saved. I, I want Christ to forgive my sins. I want Him to be my Lord and my Savior. I want Him to give me a brand new start in life. I want you to pray with me. If that's you, would you lift your hand quickly? Do it now. Who here today? I want to get right with God today. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. I saw you. Somebody else? God bless you. Anybody else lift your hand? God bless you over here, dear. Somebody else today? Help me out here. Someone lifted their hand. I missed you. Somebody else lifted their hand. God bless you, dear. I see him. I see him. Anybody else? I want to get right with God today. I, I don't want to leave today. I don't want to leave today and not be right with Christ. Anybody over here this morning? Let me right with Christ. Come, let me pray for you right now. You that lifted your hand. Come on up, pal. Let me pray for you. Bring your buddy with you. We'll pray. Make a step to Christ. Don't be afraid. Make a step to Christ. Come make a step to Christ. God bless you, dear. Come on, dear. Let me pray for you. You lifted your hand. Come on, let's pray today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, pal. You in the back. I saw you, young man. Come, let me pray for you today. I don't want a thing from you. I want to help you. I want to show you the next step. God bless you, dear. I want some people to come stand by these young ladies that are coming. God bless both these ladies today. Lord Jesus is proud of He's proud of you today. He's proud of you today. Come on up, girl. Hey, come on up. Let me tell you what you're doing right now. You're not joining this church, though we'd love to have you be a part. What you're simply doing is saying, I want to put my faith in Christ today. I want to put my trust in Him. Maybe the first time you've ever done it. Maybe you walked with God at one time and got away. You know, it doesn't matter. But what matters today is that you are saying, Jesus, I need you. I, don't, I, I want more than a feeling. I want more than an emotion. I want something that just goes deep in my heart, and I want to be changed forevermore. I want God to change my life. And that's what's going on right now. We're all going to pray with you right now. Here's what you want today. Doesn't seem possible, does it? God bless you too, dear. Doesn't seem possible, does it? Doesn't seem real. How could God know all about me and still love me? How could God care so much about me? The Bible says He knows everything about us. He still loves us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he has such a wonderful plan for your life. How do you pronounce your name? Missy. It's such a wonderful plan for your life. A wonderful plan, Jennifer. Tell them to do. I'm going to let these girls talk to you a little bit more. I just feel she needs some prayer and you'll talk to her. They're going to pray with both of you. We've got some workers here. I need three. Uh, Y'all going to be with her? Why don't you come over and help me here? i got a couple ladies here. I need two more ladies. Give them one more big hand. They're going to talk with you and pray with you. I want them to spend a little more time with you than I would real quickly. Why don't you all just walk with them right over here. Come on. We've got several people with you. Tina, come on. Walk with these girls right here. 
Hey, this was good. I want to do one more thing before we close. I want you to get your car keys. Get them out of your pocket. Get them out of your purse. We'll get your car keys just a minute. And let's kind of do a little prophetic act here before we go. And look, when we dismiss, they got hamburgers out there, hamburgers. And Pastor Mike, he found whatever, whatever ballpark franks they are. I mean, I mean, not cheap old hot dogs, what I'm trying to tell you. It's good food. Those beans are good. They make fresh, fresh french fries. And big fun for your kid. But the reason we're doing it is not to save you a buck to eat, okay? The reason we're doing it is to hopefully you'll connect with a friend. But you'll take some time and get to know somebody. Got a beautiful park out here. You can hang out there. Uh, where are they serving? In the red collar? In the, uh, they're serving right outside. If you want to eat indoors, you can eat in the cafe. Or you can go outside with your kids. But here's what I want to do before we close. I want you to look at these keys. And tell me what these keys represent. Ownership and control. Ownership and control. Your house. Your car. Your business. I got a little trunk on the back of my truck there, a little, little deal. I keep my duck decoys and my turkey decoys back there. And, and they're mine. And, you know, you can't get them because they're locked. These keys represent control and ownership. I want you to give control of your life to Christ today. Let these keys be kind of a sign, a prophetic act. Every time you put the key in the car next few days, could you think about it? When you put your keys in your house to get in, say, Lord, this is your house, not mine. I belong to you because I want you to be first in my life. Nobody can make you do this. This is totally up to you. But if you want to allow Christ to be, be first in your life, I think it's some power in this. Lord Jesus, we're holding our keys just as a, a sign, a prophetic act. To say, Lord Jesus, we want to give you control of our life. We don't want to live for ourselves. We want to live for you. When we read the Bible, not only do we want to hear it, we want to obey it. When the Holy Spirit nudges us, when our conscience, as it becomes refined and focused, when it convicts us, we want to obey it. But we want to follow you, Lord, wherever you would lead us. We don't want to run our lives anymore. We want Jesus to be first. So that's our desire, that a bunch of frogs are starting to act like a prince. Because Christ is not only our Savior, He's our Lord. And we give you praise today. Give Him one last hand today. Praise the Lord. Hey, it was a great day. Pastor Joe has the dismissal. I'll see you at the park. We'll have some fun. And Wednesday night, we do this again. I hope you'll join us right here. we got a great meal and everything going on, a place to connect. Pastor Joe has the last word. All right, this is what we're going to do in the spirit this week. You're going to turn from the frog to this unbelievable, handsome-looking prince. God's got good things in store for everybody. Here's how we're going to go out today. On the count of three, we're going to say, Go, God. And I want you to shout it with every fiber of your being, okay? On the count of three. Rock fist, remember? One, two, three. Go, God! That's pretty good. <laughs>